Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Hey. Amen. Um, if you look on the, your handout, the first passage there is the, is the finishing of a previous paragraph. And it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, the person that wrote this letter has been saying that Jesus, this person that lived a couple thousand years ago, who um, claimed to be God, that he, he came and he lived and he died um, and he was raised. And what he did then is that he created a whole new society of people, people that formerly did not like each other and were hostile. He's bringing them into this new society. And in that society, we submit to each other and serve each other and give up ourselves for each other. And um, when I think about that, it makes me think about there, there is this, a, a very um, tragically titled British game show formerly called Golden Balls. And, um, and the way that Golden Balls worked was it was, it was, like, it was like hell. You, you, there was a lot of people on it, and, but by the end there was only two people. And they, they each had these two golden orbs in front of them. And there was a pot of money. And inside one of the balls, it said steal. And inside the other ball, it said split. And what would happen is they would get a chance to talk. And if they both chose split, they would split the money that was available, right? If they both chose steal, then neither of them won any money. But if one of them chose steal and the other one chose split, the person that chose steal won all the money. And the other person got nothing, okay? And you're like, this feels like dating. Yeah. Oh, or like student loans, right? Um, but it does. And uh, so there's this one episode, this famous episode, where the, the pot of money was 100,000 pounds, because this is apparently a currency that they use in England. And, um, and there was a guy, sort of middle-aged guy, um, and... Uh, rubbed his hands on his pants a lot, you know, very nervous, kind of shady-looking middle-aged guy. And the other contestant was it was a younger uh, woman, and um, they got to the final round, and she had been crying, and she was very anxious about the whole thing, and seemingly like very like fragile, you know, that was like what she, that, how she was coming across. And and he, you know, kind of looked like an accountant, you know, and uh, no offense to accounting majors, because you don't look like that. Um, but uh, she was crying, and he said, everyone in here would kill me if I stole the money. And um, so, like, I promised to split. You know, I'm going to choose split. And we'll, we'll split it. And she was like, she's like, really, you know, really, and she was like really upset and like shaking and all this. And, and um, she said, okay, and they, they shook hands. And then, like, when they both opened their balls, like, he did choose split. That she chose steel, and um, and so the show ends after that, and like the credits roll, and literally the dude just like put his head down and didn't raise it, and it was like the show was off, like he never even brought his head back up. And when I read and I think about, okay, the way that it's supposed to work 
in this new society that Jesus is making is that we submit to each other. Like I literally like put myself at your disposal. I, you know, I don't want to be like a sucker, you know? Um, and in studies on golden balls, the reason why people choose steel more often than not, either someone steals the money or they both lose the money, like almost never split. And the reason why isn't because they want the money. The reason why is because they don't want to look like a sucker on TV. Like that's the reason why people give. And I think that's the reason why we don't submit to one another because we're afraid that if I do that, that the other person is going to take advantage of me or do harm to me. And they're going to leave me out in the dry, uh, in, the, in the dry, in the, in the rain. Um, and uh, so this passage tonight, um, as soon as I start reading it, you're going to be like, why did I bring my friend tonight? And that's okay. But just hang with, and I think that God has something really um, unique to share with us. This is going to be a passage about marriage. And very few of you are married, but very many of you will be married. And very many more of you have questions about a passage like this from the Bible. So hang with, and we'll walk through it together. All right, this is the word of the living God. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in their husbands, submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, And this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Everybody made it without leaving, so I'm grateful for that. Um, Let's pray. Obviously, if we're going to see what's good in this, we'll need God to be with us. So I'm going to pray and ask him to do that. Um, Our Father, uh, I thank you for all the women and men in this room. And Lord, um, I just take a moment with my sisters and brothers and friends um, to acknowledge that even reading this um, reminds us of pain, may trigger pain for us. um, Because, Lord, probably all of us have seen sentiment like we think this is saying used to do real harm and to do real um, pain. And Lord, many of us Um, especially our sisters among us tonight carry that pain in their bodies and in their minds and in their souls. And so, Lord, we we need you. You say that your word is good and you give it to us because you love us. And, um, Lord, uh, would you help us to see that in this passage tonight and that we would see Jesus and um, love him. And we pray in his name. Amen. All right. Um, A lot of you are going to get married. A lot more of you are like, I don't like this. And I get that. So here's what I want to do. Based on this passage, I want to give you a full sentence of what the Bible's idea of a marriage between a woman and a man is. 
and then break down that sentence with you and for you to know that I'm here and I'm available to talk through this whenever you want, whenever you want to do that. But this is what, according to the Bible, and especially according to this passage, a Christian marriage is. Okay? Christian marriage is a wife and husband who are partners of equal worth in a voluntary relationship, willingly giving themselves for one another and to one another to display the love of Jesus. Okay? Partners of equal worth in a voluntary relationship, willingly giving themselves for one another to display the love of Jesus. Okay, so first, partners of equal worth. That in a marriage, according to the scripture, a husband and wife come in as co-equal partners, equal in dignity and beauty and worth and value. The vast majority of all cultures, as you probably know, and or maybe that you learned when you came to college, and that's it's good. Um, the vast majority, if not all cultures throughout time, have treated men as primary. That men are the primary movers in society and um, that things are basically men things and sometimes we have women things. Okay? Men hold power and authority and are prioritized in all things. In basically every culture throughout history, some people would argue every culture. That's a historical reality. It was the culture that this letter was written to where this little church was in Ephesus back in the first century in the Roman Empire. Uh, And it's a major part of our culture. And um, what Paul gets at for us throughout the book of Ephesians is that in the kingdom of Jesus, men are not primary. Men are not primary in God's economy. Okay, men and women are co-equal. In Galatians chapter 3, which is another, church, another letter written by the same person to another church, Paul says that in Jesus there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, and there's neither male nor female. Our union with Jesus, because we are one in Christ, is so primary that those distinctions, in a sense, go away. That none of those things is, pri- is primary. There's, men are not primary in Christ's kingdom. Jesus came to earth, lived, died, and was raised to make a new people out of a diverse group of people throughout time and all throughout the world. And all the hierarchies that we make and all the social strata that we build to protect power are torn down in Jesus. And all people that know Jesus are one and are a basic unity and do not have power over one another. And so when Paul writes this into a culture that is patriarchal, Um, And he speaks both to wives and to husbands. Just the fact that he's addressing both of them should should begin to clue us in that he's saying something that's very revolutionary and countercultural to his time. He's saying women and men, and particularly, especially wives and husbands, are both free moral agents and belong to Jesus um, and deserve to be spoken to and given instructions. And this text is really just one example of how the Christian faith, this was at the very beginning of the church, but as the Christian faith began to grow and spread, the idea of marriage actually began to change from something that was about having children and developing an heir or something that was about sort of social um, order to a passionate, loving relationship between two partners that care for each other and that serve each other. Um, and, and many, 
and as you know, or you may know, have taken this text particularly and wielded it as a weapon. Uh, they wielded it as a tool of oppression to diminish women and to dominate women. Because people have read this text and said, see, women need to submit to men. And that is wicked. And, and, and you need to hear that I, I'm not saying it's, just saying it's wicked. The scripture would, would, would blare loudly to you that that is wicked. Um, but it has been used in that way. Men and women were both created in God's image. And in Jesus are co-equals in this new society. So as a, as a wife and a husband come into a marriage, they come in as equal partners. But it's also a voluntary relationship. Okay? This, this passage is not about men and women in a general sense. He does not say women submit to men in all things. He says wives submit to your husbands. It's about two people who have voluntarily joined themselves to one another. And marriage is very common. The reality is that the vast majority of you will get married. And it's a good and beautiful thing. And it's been common throughout time and throughout culture. But marriage is not required in the kingdom of Jesus. I understand that when you go to church and you're not married, you're like, this feels like it's just a gathering of married people or potentially married people. Uh, And I understand that. And I grieve that with you. Um, Because the basic relationship that we have in the in in Christ's society is not with a marriage, but in the church. But that is the fundamental unit is as brothers and sisters within the church, because Jesus actually teaches in the Gospels that marriage between women and men, when he comes back and he remakes everything, that that marriage is actually going to go away. It's not like this primary foundational function of human existence. And the reason why it's going to go away is for this very, if you allow this to just sink into your mind and heart, it, it will begin to just change, change you. In Jesus' society, women and men together make up Jesus' bride. That what Jesus came to do and is going to do in the fullness of time when he brings everything together is that he's a groom. He plays the husband. And all of God's people, women and men, play the bride. That we take the female uh, bride role in that. And the church is called Christ's bride right here in this passage. Every Christian person is part of the bride of Christ, and he is our husband. That means that every Christian is learning how to be a bride, fundamentally. Your fundamental work, whether you're married or single, is to learn how to be the bride of Jesus and how to love him as our husband. And many people are also married people you know, in this world, and that's a good and beautiful thing. But it's by no means mandatory, and you need to know that. Like, your life isn't just, like, kind of okay, and then when you get married, woo, you know? I can finally be me. Because, you know, it's going to be surprising um, for you. Okay? Marriage is voluntary. So they're partners of equal worth in a voluntary relationship, and they're willingly giving themselves for one another and to one another. And this is where we start to get, you know, start to hit some turbulence. Paul gives, when he says in verse 21, that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he gives particular instruction for how wives are to do that and how husbands are to do that. Okay? He tells us specifically how to do that. And this is not about gender roles. 
you need to hear and know that like when your professor tells you gender roles are basically cultural constructs, that they are correct. Throughout time and cultures, we decide and figure out what should like the men in the culture do and what should the women in the culture do. Like this is this is okay. Like this is this is what we do. But the Bible doesn't tell us that men are supposed to work and women, women are supposed to stay home. The Bible doesn't tell us that women um, should make less money for doing the same job as a man. Women have every right to make as much money or more than a man. Women have every right to be in authority over men, to be a man's boss. This isn't about holding a political office. And please hear me when I say this for my Christian brothers and sisters in the room. This is not about dating. If you're like looking to like lead somebody, like it, it's not your girlfriend. Like it's not, okay? Just so you know. Okay. So this is not about gender roles, it's about a marriage. It's about how these two equal partners relate to one another. And they have to be established in mutual value and dignity. Because you know, as well as I do, that you will only give yourself to something that you think is worth it. If you think that someone is fundamentally lesser than you, you will not sacrifice for them. Like, you will not give yourself for them and be like, I, I, I want to serve you. you will only, you'll just do what looks like service and not actually give your heart in serving, in serving them. You won't really sacrifice for them unless you believe that they are truly worth it. And so Paul says this in, in the first little section there. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in their husbands. And here's what that means. That means that in a Christian marriage, a voluntary relationship between equal partners, that wives allow themselves to be led by their husband. It's not just so self-evident that the man is so much clearly, you know, if you've hung out with husbands, and I'm one, um, and you've hung out with my wife, I, I don't think you would get the sense, you know, the person that seems the most qualified to be leading this establishment is Chris. Um, what, what Paul's calling them to do is to allow their husbands to make the final call, to take the lead. And the assumption here is not is, is that women are not inherently submissive to men. Because if you're inherently submissive just by nature, then you don't have to allow anything. It just happens. The high call here is for wives to allow a safe space for their husband to lead them. And that is a radical giving of oneself for the flourishing of another. Because in, in the Christian economy, we don't sacrifice just for the sake of sacrifice and we sacrifice so that other people can live and flourish and so the wife here is giving up herself in a real way so the husband can flourish she's crowning her husband with 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 a respect that says i'm equal to you but i'm willing to follow you this is not passively giving up all responsibility or just like he decides everything but it's a commitment to his lead okay and then he speaks to husbands we get, you know, husbands get more words because we need more words. Okay? Um, and he, sa- he says this. I won't read the whole passage, but husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Okay? Husbands commit themselves to the empowerment of, flourishing and increasing of their wives. 
And there is usually an expectation that when a, when a woman marries a man, that she will begin to diminish. That she will begin to be smaller. That she will, her dreams and her talents and gifts and her voice will become smaller and smaller and smaller as the husband takes priority over her life and her family. And she follows just whatever it is that he wants to do. And that's because pretty much every culture prioritizes men over women and husbands over wives. And that's exactly what Paul is pushing back against. He's like, you want to know what it's like to be a husband that's a Christian? It means that you give everything in you and your whole life to the empowerment and the growing and flourishing of this person and not her diminishing. Um. It's revolutionary to hear in a, in a culture that was extremely legally patriarchal that a husband's call was to use their power to empower the woman in their, in their home. Don't, and don't just die for her. You know, you hear that's like, and their husbands die for their wives. And like, my wife's like not trying to, she's not interested in me dying for her, you know? <laughs> you know, except for we have a pretty cush uh, life insurance policy currently. So... Um, <laughs> So even in death, but don't die for her, live for her. Jesus lived, he, he sacrificed himself for his people. And then he also lived to, to beautify her and a Christian husband exists to cultivate and enhance the glory of his bride and to commit himself completely to her good, regardless of the cost. Now, the important question here is why would anybody do this? Why would a wife, would a woman sign up for this? And why would a husband sign up for this? And that's the reason why is because this is, this is a, a partnership of equals and, and a voluntary relationship, willingly sacrificing themselves for each other to display the love of Jesus. What's happening here is something way bigger than the actual marriage. And that's this. A marriage, and this passage is very explicit, is um, a unique opportunity to display the love of Jesus to the world. And to one another. If you look in verse 32, Paul writes, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. What's happening is that the wife and the husband are on a small stage playing roles so that the world can see how God loves us. And it could actually, like when Aaron came up and shared that story, and it was like more than just, yeah, God's working, cool. But like, this is how. That's what a marriage is. And, and, and this is how it works. Jesus willingly submitted himself to an equal partner out of love. In, in Philippians 2, Paul says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who is the Son of God, but also God the Son. God exists, the Scripture teaches us, in a tri-unity. It's three persons that are equal in power and dignity and beauty. And He was God and is God, perfectly equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and He willingly humbled Himself. He made a conscious decision to lower Himself in order to serve the Father. As a person, He is equal in value and glory and beauty, yet He assumed a role of submission. And if you read the Gospels, it's kind of weird that Jesus says over and over and over again, I'm not here to do my will, I'm here to do the will of another, because I love Him. 
I can do nothing without him. Jesus acknowledged again and again his utter dependence on God the Father and lived to bring him glory. There's a, a, a theologian and a person in ministry, her name's Kathy Keller. And she says, Jesus defers to the Father and takes a subordinate role. The Father accepts the gift, but then exalts the Son to the highest place. Each wishes to please the other. Each wishes to exalt the other. Love and honor are given, accepted, and given again. And what Jesus is showing us in that act is something very poignant. That you can submit in love to someone who is your equal without relinquishing any of your beauty, or your glory, or your gift, or your honor. The very nature of God the Son is to live for the glory of another, and that is not abusive, nor is it humiliating. It's a willing giving out of love. By living for the glory of the Father, Jesus received the highest glory. But Jesus also sacrificed himself for the good of his church. You know, like, wives, submit to your husband. Jesus did that. So the wife in that role is playing that for the world. And the husband is playing this role that Jesus also did, that he willingly sacrificed himself for the good of the church. And the passage says that Jesus is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, and Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church. And in this way, the roles are, are like reversed. Jesus is the head of the church, he's the leader, but he also again lowers himself to sacrifice, to empower, and to beautify his bride. He is her head and he is her servant. He put this is a we are people. We're not God. The sooner we realize that, the better. Um, and God comes to us and puts our needs above his own. He nourishes his bride and cherishes her and finds his delight in her. And there's a prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Zephaniah. And he said, the Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. And we're like, yeah, that sounds manly. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet He will be quiet in his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. Jesus is like a groom that's standing in the front of a church. And I stand with the groom when I do a wedding, you know, and and the the bride comes in together. And I've seen people cry and I've seen people stonewall. I've yet to see anyone break out into a song. (laughs) This is a challenge for any of you um, gentlemen that might get married. But as his bride comes down the church, Jesus is so full of joy that he breaks into a song. He can't contain his joy and his love, and he commits at that moment, I will do everything it takes to make you the fullest, wholest version of yourself that you could possibly be. To make sure that she's even more beautiful than on her wedding day. And he makes that his personal mission, regardless of what it might cost him. And this is the promise to every woman and man that knows Jesus, that he has done that for us and is doing that for us. And so in a marriage, what you have is basically, I don't do interpretive dance. I'm not going to do an interpretive dance. No matter how much you might want me to do an interpretive dance. You don't want that. But in an Christian marriage, the, the, the wife and the husband are doing an interpretive dance, basically, of Jesus' love. And as they are joined together and they become one flesh, they show both of those facets of Jesus' love to each other and to the world. And not in some spiritual, let me show you God's love, but like, I'm going to show you God's love with my life. And as, the, as a result, both the wife and the husband are increased and made bigger and more whole. And together they give one another in the world a taste of Jesus' love. And it's a question of trust. And um, I'll, I'll bring it down on this. There was another great Golden Balls episode and, um, while we're on it. And uh, in, in this episode, again, it's a woman and a man at the end. 
And as soon as they get the, the, the golden balls at the end, he immediately says, I'm going to steal. I'm going to steal. And she's like, well, you're weak as well. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm literally not interested in what, you, what you're saying. You can say whatever you want. And nothing is going to change my mind if I'm, I'm going to steal. But when we get out of here, it was 12,000 pounds. I'm going to give you half. I promise I'm going to give you half. It's like, uh, I don't know, some dude. Yeah, not, not. But they, they, they go around and around. And he's like, look, if you play steal, none of us are going to win money. But if you play split, I'm going to get the money. And I'm going to share it with you. I promise. Like, there's nothing. I'm, you're never going to change my mind to play split. And, and they go around and around and around and around and around. And finally, she just gets so like pissed off at him. She's like, fine. Right. And she and and, and they, they cast their their balls. And um, she she plays split. And he plays split. Right. And it's like, ah, it's glorious. And what Jesus does as he, as he invites some of us into marriage, and really as he invites us into, into sacrificing ourselves for one another generally, is he says, I know you are scared to death that you are going to be a sucker and that you're going to get tricked. But if we give of ourselves, he will never betray us. That he will never trick us. And that the end of serving Jesus and sacrificing for one another is always glory. And that promise is true. Um, I'm going to pray. If you're around someone and you want to hold their hand, I would love for that. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, um, Lord, I don't know how any of that sounds to anybody. And I know to me it sounds weird. And to me, I... It doesn't feel natural at all. Um, but Lord Jesus, you, you, like, you love us. And, and you don't just like invite us into this casual, yeah, we love you, we love each other. But you say, I want you to give yourself for others like I gave myself for you. And that through that, you might experience my love and the world might experience my love. And Lord, I just pray that whether we're married or whether we're single, whether we want to be married or not, that we would see you and come to you as, as our husband and as our groom that loves us and has given yourself for us and that in you we would find new life. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Everybody say, 